breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode of Reform This. Always an honor to be with all of you, and I want to thank you for being a part of the program and being willing to listen to a American Muslim who not only loves this country, but feels an obligation, a responsibility to speak out against radical Islam. Because if we do not begin the process of reform, of counter-radicalization, which I believe is again only works when you deal with all of the things that are upstream from militant Islamism, which is the non-militant political Islam, Islamic State ideology, we're never going to get to a solution. Every week you and I cover some of these things, and I try to give you my two cents about areas that we can address and uh, begin to get a strategy, a formula beyond the whack-a-mole, beyond the month-to-month contest of figuring out Did we win? Is it over? ISIS is gone. But no. So this week, first thing I have to follow up on is the issue of Turkey. Erdogan's in the White House visiting, and uh, President Trump said basically that he was honored to welcome a NATO ally. And I get it. We're not, you know, either they're in NATO or they're not, and they are. So we have to basically acknowledge that and work with what we have. Uh, Not necessarily. Now, Nikki Haley, former ambassador to the UN, very astutely on Fox News this week uh, being interviewed, said, well, you know, President Trump, this is what he does. He, with the folks that, uh, with these dictators that are often hard to cajole, he will lure them in with a sense of positivity to disarm them, she said, to disarm them. Okay. I'm waiting. What's going to happen after we disarm them? Erdogan's been disarmed. And, okay, next, next. What is he doing? His troops are still marching through Syria. His troops are still torturing Kurds, torturing Christians. We've seen, if you follow, if you follow the accounts of video, photo, uh, print journalists actually on the ground risking their lives to report to us what's happening in the towns on the Syrian border. They used to be part of the Syrian Democratic Forces of the Kurdish contingents of military. Now we see that they've been overrun by Turks. They've had to evacuate. Hundreds of thousands have had to move. Hundreds have been killed. And we're seeing torture. We're seeing videos of jihadists. No different than what ISIS used to say and do as they proclaim that the Islamic ascendancy, the Islamic victory of Erdogan's army has been brought over the Kurds. They're not saying that they're going in to get rid of terrorists. They they might say that, but the bottom line is there's no doubt that this is Salafi jihadist Islamist terrorists 
um, a Turkish Salafi jihadi military versus the Kurds. It's not about countering the PKK terror group or whatever the, the, the current Turkish articulation is. I defy anyone to prove to me that there's actually an operation of counterterrorism being done by the Turks. And I would want President Trump this week. Did he did he bring up the fact that the Turkish military jihadists are basically ISIS 2.0? 2.0. They're going in reciting scripture, talking about a new caliph, talking about a new ascendancy of an Islamic state to repress the threat of the Kurds. Bottom, the bottom line is that the Turkish military, under Erdogan's guidance and unleashing, is unleashing radical jihadists. These aren't just the same old military that they used to be 20 years ago before Erdogan took over. These have slowly become his jihadists. And it's not just his military. He has recoalesced a lot of the Syrian rebels that were Islamists, that are Islamists, that were quasi-Al-Qaeda type groups. There were hundreds of them, most of which, as they were defeated, went into Turkey, became quote-unquote refugees. And now they're going back. And there are many stories out there by brave, courageous journalists that have shown that some of these thugs that were walking in Berlin, that were walking in Istanbul, have now come back because they are unleashed to go back into northern Syria with the empowerment of a Turkish neo-caliphate, which was their whole dream to start with. Not for the <laughs> all the Syrian revolutionaries, but for a certain fragment, a certain section, a, a sizable section of the rebellion. They were Islamist, Salafi, jihadist, radicalized by Qatar, Turkey, and initially by Saudi Arabia that finally pulled out its influence in radicalizing them in the last year, thanks to uh, the Trump administration. But now as the neo-caliph Erdogan is in the White House, did we have an ask of telling him to knock it off with ISIS 2.0 that he is driving? Did we have an ask to demand that the jihadist propaganda stop? His foreign minister, I'm sorry, his interior minister, was giving speeches on the day that Erdogan was visiting President Trump about the victory of the Islamists over the imperialist West and other nonsense about America and denigrating our country and denigrating what our military does. And this is why we're meeting with Erdogan. I hope and pray President Trump was being briefed on this and we should be pushing him back. I mean, listen, we were pushing back openly, verbally, the Chancellor of Germany. The French president, with that famous picture where President Trump was sitting and they were all standing above him, pointing at him. And he pushed back because he wanted them to pay their fair share of NATO, to pay their fair share of the UN, especially NATO, rather. And he was criticized by the left because he was too tough on our allies. Please, President Trump, do the same thing. Do the same thing with Turkey. These are jihadists. There's no need 
There's no need to soft-pedal appeasement mentality. Because I do have concerns. Michael Oren had a great piece, I believe it was in The Atlantic, not a journal I'm a fan of, but uh, Oren's piece, talked about the coming Middle East flag conflagration. That Israel may be bracing itself for war with Iranian proxies. And Tehran is escalating its provocations. And we saw this week, Hamas was launching more and more missiles, saying that they have thousands of missiles to launch into Israel. And the Iron Dome, thank God, protected innocent Israeli citizens from the terrorist onslaught of missiles this week. Little coverage was received in the news. Little coverage about these missiles. But this is my fear, is that Yes, our enemies, when they see President Trump engaged, when they see him engaged, do fear. They do know that with ISIS, Obama did nothing. If anything, we caused their growth, obviously, for eight years. But now with Trump, they were decimated by a Pentagon that was given the green light to do what was necessary to get rid of them. But now there's also sort of this uh, appeasement mentality, this turning a blind eye as America resets itself on what actually are our interests. And I get it. We don't want to send any more of our soldiers to fight in never-ending wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and elsewhere that are just cesspools of lack of civil society and corruption and, and uh, sectarian wars divisions, etc. But a world in which America is not feared, in which our troops do not preserve the peace, is going to degenerate very quickly. And I get it. We'll deploy them when necessary. And we need a non-military strategy, and that's my primary message. As any of you know who follow this podcast, you know that my primary strategy and dream is that we have a non-military strategy. That it, it, this war, especially when you're talking about a constituency for the Islamists, which is a quarter of the world's population, which is 1.6 billion Muslims. Not that they're all Islamists, but heck, if you do the math, 25-30% is 500 million. That's a huge, huge as President Trump would say, number of possible jihadists. And the rest are just disorganized. And I think we need a strategy to work with those that share our values so that they can fight their own wars, they can fight their own liberation, for their own liberation, against theocracy, and there will be an evolution. But as Oren writes, the senior ministers of the Israeli government, I think one of the things, before I get to his note, one of the things that we cannot forget is that Israel that sits surrounded by the most evil regimes on the planet will have to defend itself. And at some point, if their enemies start seeing them as vulnerable, if their enemies start seeing them as no longer protected by NATO, 
especially the United States of America, they might start getting cocky and starting conflicts that they can't, that they assume they might be able to get out of in order to promote their own imperialism, their expansionism. Contrary to Ilhan Omar's comment last week was at a Bernie Sanders rally. Remember, as I mentioned, was that, oh, the threat to the world is Western imperialism that Bernie Sanders is going to stop. Western imperialism. That's what Ilhan Omar told a, a Bernie Sanders rally. No, the threat is Iranian imperialism. The threat is Russian imperialism. The threat is Chinese imperialism. The threat is Salafi jihadism, Turkish imperialism into Syria. That's what I wish we were hearing from the White House. Well, neo-caliphs, neo-caliphs of Recep Erdogan are visiting. This week was the 30-year anniversary of the falling of the Berlin Wall. President Reagan's statue was unveiled in Berlin. A very, very fitting tribute to a president that set the world straight on what was good and what was evil. Set the world straight on the fact that freedom and liberty, that American democracy, set the standard for the advancement of human rights and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And to this day, that stands... The, the end of the Soviet Union without a single military bullet fired against Russian, at the time, Soviet militaries saw the fall of the Berlin Wall. And today's Cold War, today's threat to that global harmony is no longer Soviet ideology, while the Russians aren't exactly... out of the Cold War concept when it comes to dealing with the West. But a much bigger threat today is Islamism, Salafi jihadism, the theocrats of Iran, the theocrats of ISIS, whether it's Shia or Sunni side, the theocrats of the Muslim Brotherhood, of the Jamaat Islami in Pakistan, of the Diobandis, of the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia. All over the planet, you've got radicalized Islamists that are beginning to get marching orders beginning to get marching orders from various parts of their jihadist movements. And they don't really care about national state boundaries. They don't care about the old nation states of what they see as the illegitimate Sykes-Picot Agreement in in the early 20th centuries that created their states that they'd like to see end. So that's the biggest problem. Michael Oren writes... The senior minister of the Israeli government met twice last week to discuss the possibility of open war with Iran. They were mindful of the Iranian plan for a drone attack from Syria in August, aborted at the last minute by an Israeli airstrike, as well as Iran's need to deflect attention from the mass protests against Hezbollah's rule in Lebanon. The ministers also reviewed the recent attack by Iranian drones and cruise missiles on two two Saudi oil installations reportedly concluding that a similar assault could be mounted against Israel from Iraq. They adopted an emergency plan called Momentum to expand Israel's missile defense capacity, its ability to gather intelligence 
on embedded enemy targets. And as Oren points out, this conflagration could be ignited by a single spark. Israeli fighter jets have literally conducted hundreds of bombing raids against Iranian targets in Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq for deterrence. They've got an army that can certainly defend itself. And yes, the United States will come to its aid through supply of arms, supply of need, if it was to rise to a war, God forbid. But the bottom line is is that the environment, that the evacuation of American influence from the Middle East is leaving, may leave an environment in which these centuries-old conflicts may begin to unroof themselves. Now, I will tell you that as long as Israel is not harmed, there is some cleansing benefit. As you see, democracies in the West came from revolutions, bloody revolutions, not from peaceful evolution. And I think similarly, a lot of these countries will not change until they lose some major wars. So this major war that they may lose, obviously, if it involves Israel, is going to need American involvement. And we'll be right back in with even more troops. But if the conflagration involves Saudi Arabia versus Iran, we probably will come to the defense of Saudi Arabia and our renewed alliance with them. But there may be smaller level conflicts that are beginning to smolder and then turn on in a hotter mechanism. And that mechanism of conflict will continue with proxy wars as we see Turkey moving into Syria, as we see Tehran with its demonstrations becoming a little more unstable and it may reach out for war in order to unify its country against a common enemy in a Machiavellian way. We see Baghdad beginning to kill demonstrators, shoot them, as the intelligence officers from Iran begin to aggress into Iraq. And I think Iraq will again become one of the center points of conflict in the sectarian battle, but also in the battle between those who want to be free versus the theocrats of Iran. The demonstrations in Beirut were also about pushing back against the theocrats of Iran. So I think the coming revolution is one of secular, liberal, non-Islamist Muslims versus Iran. I think the Arab dictators were are, are more stable than Obviously, they were in 2011, 2012 during the Arab Awakening. Uh, But ultimately, now you're going to begin to see an anti-theocratic movement that's going to have some significant chaos brought, not only because of that initial conflict, but the underlying sentiment of sectarian battle of Sunni versus Shia will also take over some and cloud and muddy the waters. But I think Michael Oren's right. We had our finger in the plug on a lot of this. Yes, the little troops we had in Syria prevented some of the Turkish conflict against the Kurds. And we just sort of let that out. And God bless the Kurds. I hope God protects them. We're going to have to somehow, and I don't know how it's going to be possible, but somehow rekindle that relationship and protect them. 
and protect our allies that share our values and begin to create sort of the rubric that as a lot of these conflagrations happen, we stand closer and tighter with our allies and begin to work on the ground behind the scenes and also in the front with ideas. Just like President Reagan talked about the evil empire. We should call Islamists, jihadists, what they are. I don't care if in the White House or not. Erdogan is a Salafi jihadist, is, an, is a Muslim Brotherhood type leader that, that is a supremacist, an Islamist supremacist. And his idea should be called it that we should be called out for the torture of journalists, for the for the crimes against humanity done by the security apparatus of his country. As his media was reporting here in Washington in his visit, take a look at what they said about our country. We should stand not only by our allies, but with them confronting evil and identifying evil for what it is. Yes, NATO needs to have, I think we should convene a meeting of NATO about Turkey. Convene a conference about NATO, I'm sorry, a conference with NATO about Turkey. Why can't we do that? Put them on the defense. Begin to have a war of words, a war of ideas from the Secretary on State of State Secretary of State Pompeo on down, calling them out for what they are. The same way we call out the other Islamic Republic, Iran. Secretary Pompeo doesn't mince any words about Iran. He's been perfect. And yet about Turkey we seem to somehow the cat has our tongue. It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what's limiting our, call it tough love, but they're committing war crimes in Syria. They are attacking our greatest allies in the Middle East, the ones most akin to secular democracy. Yes, there's some communists and all that. I'm not apologizing for all the Kurds, but the bottom line is is they are heads and shoulders above any other group that we've worked with in the Middle East, save Israel. And I'm saying this as a Sunni Syrian American. I'm not Kurdish. But the Sunni Salafi jihadists have have uh, asked for our help and then gone and radicalized their communities against us. So take a look at what's happening with the missiles from Hamas. With you know, Hamas has a long time worked hand in hand with the Khomeinists of Iran, even though one's Sunni, one's Shia, their goals, their enemies are similar. This is why Hamas is no longer anti-Assad. They were fleetingly for a few months in 2012 when they thought Assad was going down, but then they shifted back to their same horrific corruption that they've always been. As Oren points out, the the senior Israeli government ministers are not far-fetched in their contemplation of possible huge military conflagrations against Iran. And this is not warmongering. They would not... People cite warmongering, as Ilhan Omar and other radical Islamists say. It's just nonsense. That is complete nonsense to think that the people of Israel, 
that small nation would want to enter a war against its enemies in the region. And Iran, that not only has a huge military and and landmass that is now also reaching into Iraq and Syria, has now client states. I believe they'd win. Israel would. But it would not be pretty. So this is why they do deterrent attacks regularly. But we cannot continue to turn a blind eye to Iranian aggression. We cannot continue the work of appeasement that gives the worst actors, the most corrupt actors, a sense that somehow there will be no response. We need to be, on the one hand, feared, and on the other hand, have a longer-term strategy than just a few months. And then, you know, I have to tell you, the other thing is, there was a general on air, I can't remember his name this week, who got up and said, we're going to keep 500 to 600 troops in Syria. We're not going to remove them. I mean, at this point, you can't help but feel gaslighted by the Trump administration. I mean, are they leaving or not? If they're not, why did we move them away from the of the Turks? So it really wasn't about removing them for endless wars. We bring our troops home, etc. It was really just moving them and telling Turkey to go in. As we meet with Turk Erdogan on the White House and remind him that we love being his ally. So we have to give call balls and strikes and 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 give criticism where criticism is due and this just doesn't make sense so i hope there's a longer term strategy that looks at the radicalization that erdogan's government and media and 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 military is doing and that we begin we begin a longer term new cold war in honor of reagan against the islamists for those who want freedom and liberty in the long term, that'll be the greatest move forward for American security and global security than we ever could. Because the other option, when America's power and influence and fear disappears and goes to the West and is no longer feared in the Middle East, then it will be filled by the evil, corrupt Essadists, by the Iranian Khomeinists, by the Russians, by the Chinese influence, by others. All who seek our destruction. All who want to advance theocratic movements that will radicalize hundreds of thousands, if not millions more. We have to have a strategy. Or if you don't want your sons and daughters fighting wars in the next generation, as Michael Oren talks about a possible coming conflagration in the Middle East, then we need to have a strategy that doesn't include military, that includes calling calling out a spade a spade and telling jihadists they're not welcome in the White House and that dictators that claim to be dem- running democracies are not running democracies when they do what Erdogan's doing. And I hope that can change. Well, it's always great to talk to all of you. Please find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, or at Reform This Radio. Find us online at AIFdemocracy.org. It is always great to be with you. Hope you had a great Veterans Day. And to all of you that serve this country, thank you, thank you for your service from this veteran to yours. I don't want to see any more wars for those of us who've served in conflict and uh, you know, I hope the day comes when we don't have to talk about the need for any of our troops uh, 
to be, you know, those who served in war, they went never expecting that, expecting that they may not come back. Imagine that. That's what American service, that's what service in our military means. And thank you to those of you who've served and to those serving right now. I'm going to be talking to uh, some of our military community next week, visiting in San Diego, and I'll let you know how that goes. God bless you all. God bless the United States of America. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.